What's happening, my loves? Welcome back to the Namaste Podcast, a podcast dedicated to uplifting the soul and creating positive, goal-oriented talk. Today's episode in particular is really special to me for many reasons. The first one being, I am speaking to none other than Paul Newton. Now, if you don't know who he is, he's a multi-camera series director, and he has worked on many different reality shows, popular reality shows, especially in the UK, uh, such as you know, Love Island, one of my favorite shows, as a lot of you guys know, as of most recently, I only just discovered it a couple weeks ago, but it is seriously entertaining. And Paul was actually the series director on that show. And he's also worked on a number of shows like Dragon's Den. He's worked on another really popular UK show called I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. And we actually talk about a couple Americans that were on the show, like Heidi uh, Heidi and Spencer Pratt. If you guys don't know who they are, they were on the Hills and Laguna Beach back in the day. Very popular American reality shows. But anyways, uh, that's kind of just how I discovered him. I thought this show was super interesting. I thought the creators, they had done ch- such a good job that I had to find out who produced it who directed it who edited the show and I came across Paul's name and I found his website and I just thought he sounded so cool he sounded like he had a really interesting life and career and I just wanted to pick his brains so I decided what the heck send him an email see if he responds and of course he did guys I'm so over the moon about this conversation he was actually in Australia when we decided to have a little chat and uh yeah the time difference was a little unreal <laughs> I woke up at 4 30 a.m to talk to him and honestly I did not care at all I was just so excited to have this chat such a cool individual and I know you guys are really gonna love it man just listening back to this conversation he's just so inspiring the love that he has for his wife and his his career, his family, like he's just such a lovely person and I just can't wait for you guys to hear it. So without further ado, here's my chat with Paul Noon. Enjoy, grab a cup of coffee. This is going to be an inspiring one. So today on the podcast, I have a very special guest. His name is Paul Newton. He's actually a director specifically in live broadcasting and reality TV. I am seriously so excited to have you here, Paul. Um, <laughs> how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm good. I'm in Australia at the moment. I'm filming, uh, I'm working on a TV show that actually isn't on in America, I don't think, but um, it's a massive show in England called I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. And this is the 18th series that it's on. And it's the biggest series. It's the most successful series of its whole kind of time on TV. So, which is pretty amazing. So that's good. Wow. 18th. I did not mm. know that. Interesting. Yeah. I, um, I actually did my research because I did know about it. When you sent, sent it to me originally and said you were working on it, I went, oh, I've heard of that. And uh, yeah. I, I did a little bit of research. And the, the two people that I know from it um, that was on it, Spencer Pratt and Heidi. Yeah. Heidi so that's an interesting one. So that's the American version that was on NBC, which I actually worked on. And we filmed that in Costa Rica in 2009. And I think it's an like, so I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, is an English format developed by ITV, who I'm working for at the moment. And uh, I think it was first on TV around 2001 time. And, uh, you know, successful show in the UK. And then it got sold on to the Germans and the Germans did their version. And then the Americans did a version uh, for NBC. <clears throat> and I think, and I worked on it and it was amazing. It was brilliant. We like lived in the middle of the jungle in Costa Rica. Um, 
but I think with you Ameri- with well with the American kind of market well us us British people quite like to see our celebrities um like toppled off their tower a little bit and you know <laughs> yeah. loving it like the everyman and having to camp out in the forest and you know do all these horrible trials and things and I don't think the Americans quite like seeing their celebrities doing oh. the same. They, they kind of like to keep their celebrities on the pedestal and, you know, and, and the show, it, I mean, it was relatively successful, I think, but um, definitely Spencer Matthews and Heidi and all of those people that were on it didn't really know what they were getting themselves in for, I think. I mean, they, right. I remember on the first night they kind of turned up and they arrived in their jungle camp and, you know, we filmed it all and it's all like a fixed rig reality setup. So there's not really any interaction with producers and stuff. We just say, off you go down that track and there's your little camp and it's all hidden cameras and stuff like that. And um, it got to about like 9 p.m., 10 p.m. And you could see they were kind of looking around and thinking, when when do the cameras stop filming? And they were kind of going and like shouting out to the producers like, are we, have we stopped filming now? Like, is this it? Can we go back to the hotel? And we were like, no, guys, this is it. You're actually going to live in the jungle for like, you know, two weeks. And they were like, no, we're not doing that. So it was kind of like, I think it was a bit of a shock to them. But in the end, it was like a, it was really fun to work on. And they stuck it out. And um, I think Spencer and Heidi left because they were like, whoa, what is this show? We're not doing this. And then they they basically, like two days later, when they realized it was actually doing quite well, they came back and were like, oh, no, actually, guys, we're we're back. We're back. And um, Oh, my gosh. Hilarious. yeah, that's I'm a celeb. So I'm working on that at the moment in Australia for the UK version. Cool. That's awesome. You know, I was thinking about it the other day and I, I think because you worked on Love Island and I only yeah. just discovered this a few weeks ago. I, I'd heard of it before from my family, but um, I like watched and I just thought it was hilarious. Yeah. And I was thinking about it and America kind of already has something similar to it with The Bachelor. The Bachelor is yeah. quite similar in terms of its style, at least The Bachelor in Paradise. Um, yeah, that, you know what's exciting for the Americans though? You're getting your own Love Island next year, I think. In 2019, yes. you'll be getting your, uh, on CBS have actually picked it up. So they're going to do their own version of Love Island for America with Americans. And uh, yeah, hopefully if the Love Island wave of success is anything to go by with all the other regions and territories that have done it, it should be hopefully like a really amazing show for the Americans to watch with having their own version. So that'd be good. You know, it'd be interesting to see if that does well, because I think part of the reason why Love Island is so great is because of the British humor. And I don't know about you, but personally, American humor is completely different. And I mean, British humor is my first cup of tea. So yeah, we have that kind of sarcasm, don't we? And that dry wit. But you know, I mean, like Americans get it as well. So and I think Love Island did well, my family live in America and they like watched Love Island, the UK version, and they enjoyed it. And I think, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think it will transfer over. But um, yeah, it's interesting you say that about the, the, the sort of the British humor and stuff. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, that's what drew, drew me to it. I watched one episode and I thought, oh, this is hilarious. This is mm. like, this is often I make jokes and I'm just the way that I am. People just don't understand me at all. And, right. and then I go, it's just my British humor. Yeah. <laughs> we actually just, just what are you on about, but you're yeah. actually just being quite dry and yes. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, I have a friend, um, one of my friend, good friends, Mark, he is Filipino and the Philip 
Filipinos often have a similar humor to us. And so yeah. he always gets my jokes and laughs at everything, which makes me feel hilarious. But <laughs> that's <laughs> definitely really nice. <laughs> yeah, I guess like the storylines all come out of the edit and stuff. So, you know, it all comes, you know, it's a massive team effort, Love Island. So, you know, uh, I'm, I'm the series director or have been for the past four series of Love Island in the UK. And so my kind of job is to um, be all across like the look of the series and, and how we shoot it. And, and then basically the storylines are kind of built in the edit. And that's another kind of amazing creative team of executive producers and editors and story producers that kind of bring those stories to life. Um, so yeah, the humor and stuff and, you know, it coupled with an amazing kind of voiceover and like artist called um, Ian, who's oh, like a comedian. so funny. Yeah, and so he brings he brings all stories to life, or twists them and makes fun out of a scene or a situation. So, um, yeah, all of it's like a combination of really creative people uh, coming together, and and obviously all owning their own little piece of Love Island, and and you know it's just the team really are an amazing team that bring that show together and make it the success that it's kind of become really. Oh, that's awesome. That's really great to hear. I mean, you can tell though, it's, it's clearly a, a big part of it also is, you know, the editing that of the show that, you know, cause you have to spin the different stories specific ways to make it more entertaining and for sure. So I can understand yeah. that. But the thing that you probably haven't realized is that we, we turn around that show there's a show on every day, pretty much an hour show, pretty much every day for six weeks. So it's not like, uh, I've worked on other shows where, you know, you'll film, um, a series over maybe a couple of weeks and then it will be in the edit for months like mm. for, for, to make one episode but in Love Island the turnaround is so quick literally like overnight so you know we're filming stuff we'll have a cut off point in the evening where we know that that is the end of that episode and then you know it's a 24-hour operation really where wow. they're cutting it overnight where the viewings are in the morning the finessing and the tweaking happens in the afternoon and then bang, it gets like broadcast out to the nation that evening. And then the whole process happens again. So the crafting of the storylines and the editing is um, so quick. I mean, it's just, it's a really intense environment to work on because you live, eat, sleep, breathe Love Island for that amount of time. There's no real kind of like room to do anything else other than just focus on the show and get your head down and, and do it. But um I guess that's, uh, yeah, it's exciting. It's great to be involved in. Holy. And I mean, you have a family life as well. How do you yeah. balance your crazy schedule with uh, so that is, Yeah, that is the trick, isn't it? So uh, this job that I'm doing at the moment and Love Island are my two big away jobs. And I've got three kids at home. I've got a wife and uh, my kids are like eight, five and two, uh, nearly two. And um yeah, uh, the 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 downside is that when I'm working, I'm like 100% working. I'm pretty much kind of like head down, probably on a location somewhere. You know, I'll FaceTime them twice a day, two or three times a day. Um, but, you know, I, I'm obviously like 100% dedicated to the work that I'm doing. But then the flip side of that is that when I'm back from that show, I'll have kind of long periods of just being at home, like... Right. The, the time before this job started, I was at home for like eight weeks. I didn't work. Oh. So it was great because I could be a stay-at-home dad. I could pick the kids up from school. I could take them to like all their little after-school like clubs that they do and the swimming lessons and the ballet dancing and everything. So um, 
yeah, it's kind of like a light switch. I'm either fully on or completely off. So that's how I've managed to balance the family life. And obviously, the you know, it comes down to really having an amazing wife, a massive support network at home that can kind of rally around uh, Sophie, my wife, and like help out with the kids and stuff because she's working as well. So yeah, it's kind of a, a big kind of family um, commitment, these jobs. But um, wow. that's kind of the only way I've worked really since I've ever been working so it's weird (laughs) awesome and your your wife Sophie she's a direct she's a sorry a doctor holy moly so you both have big challenging careers that's uh quite the exciting life (laughs) yeah I mean we've been together for 20 years so we never like I mean a, a director and a doctor never I guess kind of meet in the in the kind of the world where they're kind of at work but we met really young when we were like 17 18 and it's been kind of like an amazing just journey together where she she actually came to be a doctor quite late it was kind of she got to 27 and she actually worked in advertising from the age of well from when she graduated university so like from 21 to 27 she worked in advertising in london and she had a really great job worked on loads of great like amazing accounts like sony and uh, all these other kind of like muller yoga and stuff and then she got to like 27 like i said and suddenly realized that she'd always wanted to be a doctor uh, from when she was a little girl but she'd the decisions you make when you're in the uk and you do these kind of gcse exams which basically send you on a trajectory of your career path. So at at the age of like 15, you have to decide, okay, what subjects am I going to study to do my exams? You know, and you can choose between, you know, different languages or science-based stuff or maths or whatever your skill set is. And she just, at that point in her life, didn't really concentrate on the science side of things. She took science, but it wasn't kind of like a dedicated uh, individualized science GCSE exam and so that meant that the knock-on effect of that was that when she did her other kind of uh, studying of what we call A levels she didn't do a science-based A level and then that meant that she you know basically her career path kind of went in a different direction so doctor was never really an option and then when she got to 27 she was like do you know what I'm kind of fed up of just talking about adverts and living and eating breathing adverts I kind of want to I've always wanted to be a doctor and I mean all like credit to her she basically uh decided to quit her amazing job in advertising and basically go back to school and retrain as a doctor and she absolutely loves it and like you know it's I love having a doctor's wife. It's incredible. It's great. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like it, it shines through in her videos. <clears throat> Before, uh, th- obviously, we started, Paul sent me a couple of her YouTube videos that he helped her create. And first off, they're fantastically done. My gosh, I wish I had a director, <laughs> boyfriend slash husband. <laughs> but second, she is just so, first off, also, she's beautiful. Second, yeah. she's just so articulate and like her passion just shines through in her her, yeah, her personality. It's they're they're great videos. Um, I'm actually going to list them um, below, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll yeah, link them below. It's it's weird because like yeah, you're right. She is I mean, like obviously I've totally bagged a hottie, you know, early on, and I've kept hold of her. So that was I, I did well <laughs> when I was like 17 or 18. But um, she, uh, she yeah, I didn't expect this. It was me really. She basically decided that she hoped she's got this passion in lifestyle medicine she was like i really really interest me i really like want to find out more so i was like you know we'd be 
having dinner in the evening and she'd be like reading up on lifestyle medicine and she'd go to all these kind of like lifestyle medicine conferences and stuff just for, uh, you know, just extracurricular stuff because she just enjoys it. And um, I obviously, being involved in telly and content and stuff, I kind of like, you know, I'm quite into YouTube and I'm excited about people who create stuff and make things. So I was like, well, why do I had all this time off before this job? And I was like, why don't we just make a little channel? You know, like, why don't we just do it and I'll film it and edit it and you can just say all the stuff that you're learning and you know not claiming that she knows anything about lifestyle medicine it's more kind of the angle was that she's going to find out about it so you know whoever wants to come on that journey with her to learn about all this stuff and here's all this evidence-based kind of finding that I found out um, about lifestyle medicine so I really get a kick out of it because I love basically filming stuff and editing and creating little videos and she's obviously great at delivering the you know the content because she's so into it and loves it anyway and would do it anyway even if it wasn't kind of being filmed and coupled with that is you know she's great to look at and she's an amazing presenter as well which is yes like when you sent them to me I honestly I was wondering hmm, I wonder what they're going to be like and then I started watching her I'm like she's a great performer like she could be a host yeah it's um I work with a lot of presenters and you know it's uh I said to her bloody hell like you could have actually being a really good presenter like if you hadn't have wanted to be a doctor or a advertising but working advertising you know she's one of those people that is actually quite good at you know anything that she applies herself to she's amazing at so um wow. yeah presenting i guess is one of them but um she doesn't want to be a presenter i mean she loves you know she's just naturally good at it but um yeah she uh it's great i mean i yeah it's working well it's basically we made a video a video a week before i came out here and then i came out here and then it all just basically stopped because I've been busy on this show. So right. when we get back, the plan is for just to make more videos and um, yeah, just for fun and see what happens with it. That's awesome. All right. Well, uh, I want to change the pace. I wanted to ask you, like, well, how did you, how did you become a director? Can you tell me a little bit of the story uh, on the journey of sure. that? Yeah. So um, a director is a broad term, but in my world, I am, like you said at the beginning, kind of involved in uh live tv so you know not i'm not really like a movie director or a drama director or anything but my sort of skill set is multi-camera live or like basically broadcast as live or edited down packages involving multi-camera or rigs or uh events kind of stuff like that um working from a gallery environment and when i say gallery it's got different names for it throughout the world in Australia they call it a scanner but basically it's kind of like a control room where you've got all your monitors in front of you and all your cameras and you're on a talkback unit and you're kind of the best way to describe it is um, you're conducting the orchestra of cameramen, soundmen, presenters, um, uh, you know basically all the, all the kind of elements that go into making a TV show you're that one voice that everyone kind of uh, listens to and hopefully enables them to sing from the same hymn sheet to bring everything together. So whether that be in a live broadcast environment where you're like directing a presenter to a certain time and then running a VT for a certain duration and then going to a different scene, you're kind of like, you know, everyone's listening to you as that one voice. So that's kind of my skill set. So I started off directing um, when I was about 23 
uh, on a show called Big Brother no in the UK. Way. Stop. Yeah. That's your first so, start. Come on now. <laughs> well, I went on the. Awesome. I, I, I wasn't directing Big Brother from the start, but I, I was definitely. <laughs> I worked on the first ever Big Brother, which at the time, before it was a massive success back in the year 2000, um, no one knew what Big Brother was. So, And I was at a broadcasting. Uh, college in London called Chislehurst and um, they sort of people this production company called Endemol came around to our college and were like look or they put signs up around the college saying we're making this show called Big Brother and it was kind of an experiment and we just want like basically students to come and work on it you know because it's kind of a bit of an out there kind of format and um, you know we need people to work on it basically so I went down there worked on this first series of Big Brother as kind of a remote camera operator <clears throat> and um the first series just went crazy like it was just a massive uh, success and so ever since then i was kind of in this this circle of uh, you know i was in the bubble of, of big brother and um and you know fast forward 10 years i did basically 10 years of big brother from like the third series i was sort of involved in directing it as a what we call a gallery director so you would be um directing the cameras uh in the house basically if for anyone that doesn't know big brother it's kind of like basically people live in a house for 10 weeks with no interaction from the outside world and it was kind of in the early days it was just an experiment to see what would happen um and their only communication with the outside world is this voice the voice of big brother which is kind of this autonomous sort of uh, voice that kind of you know they can talk to um and i would work in this gallery control room and we'd be there every day, just basically filming whatever happened in the house, you know, mundane stuff. Uh, and it would all go to an edit overnight. And similar to how this show that I'm working on at the moment, you know, it's a quick turnaround. So there'd be a show on every night and a live show once a week. But in the early days, I was just directing the the content that happened within the house. So, you know, it was kind of, it was kind of a little step into directing, but I didn't have all the kind of the pressure and uh, the responsibility of, directing a big live show on a multi, you know, on a massive sort of multi-channel kind of network. So it was, it was good. And I basically learned my craft over those sort of 10 years working on Big Brother and all the other spin-off shows that happened around it that were kind of based on the same architecture. So whenever there was um, a show that involved people being filmed behind secret two-way mirrors, I did it <laughs> in the early 2000s. So, um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was that, and that was my kind of step in. And then from then, I kind of, you know, it's just a case of trying to get yourself out there to do other shows and make a name for yourself outside of the reality TV world. Of course. And did you always know that you wanted to direct? Is this something you've always sort of pursued? Uh, I didn't consciously think... I want to be a director. I, th- I probably more wanted to be a cameraman, I think. Um, okay. When I was a kid, my dad had this like camcorder and I would just like, run around and film random stuff. I'd film my sisters like on their bikes or I'd make little movies with my mates and things like that. Um, so I knew I wanted to work in TV because I thought TV was quite an exciting place to work. And um, but yeah, the directing thing kind of just... I didn't really, I think nowadays, I think it's, looking back, it'd be great to have had some focus and career direction. But at that point, back in the day, I was just like, happy to go with the flow. And an opportunity came up and I was like, okay, I'll 
try it out. You know, basically I was working on a show called The Salon, which is pretty much a hairdresser's, uh, like a sort of a hair salon where people would go and get their hair done and their makeup done. And you could, it was a light, it was like a show on every night and it was based in the middle of London. And people could come in off the street and book a hair appointment or have their nails done or all these beauty treatments, colonic irrigation, whatever. But it would be on TV. And um, yeah, it was kind of, uh, it was kind of a success. And it was booked in for like a five week like run. And it was such a success that they extended the run. But the director who I was working with uh, had booked a holiday. And he was like, well, I can't. I've booked this holiday, you know, I'm not going to go. I've got to go. Uh, and he kind of turned to me and was like, you can do it. Uh, as wow. a semi joking. And I turned back to him and I was like, yeah, all right. And no, no that was it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and here I am. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was, that was quite a cool way to kind of get introduced to it. But it was one, at that point in my life when I was like sort of 22, 23, where I was just thinking, I don't really know what I want to do, but I'll give <laughs> anything a go. And so, and it kind of stuck really. Wow. Cool. Do you think you'll ever branch out into like movies or, or sitcoms or anything like that? Uh, well, the thing that I haven't done so far is work with actors. So that's something that I'd quite like to get a skill under my belt. But I mean, you know, it's quite an exciting kind of time, I think, because, you know, you've got all the Netflix kind of original and the Amazon originals and all this kind of, high-end drama kind of the the quality of stuff that's getting made is like really high-end nowadays and you know you just you know what 10 years ago what you just see in the movies you now see in a netflix original or amazon sort of prime you know uh exclusive kind of drama or whatever so yeah i think there's the there's definitely an opening i think for that in my career a few you know somewhere in the future but I mean you know it's quite competitive isn't it and I haven't got that kind of stuff on my CV and people kind of like to you know pigeonhole people even though you you know from my point of view there's a lot of transferable skills there the only thing that I haven't got experience in is kind of getting in the mind of an actor and bringing out their performance I haven't really done that I mean I've kind of I can chat to presenters in their ear in a live show but I'm not you know, it's more kind of a direction kind of thing and not like a, okay, this is what this scene's all about. I haven't done any of that. So, but, you know, that's not to say I'd like to give it a go. Cool. Awesome. I, I uh, hope to see something that you've <laughs> done in the future. You know, you never know. Um, never know. <laughs> uh, I also wanted to ask about, um, so I know that you worked on the Olympics. I, I read that. And yeah. In the winter, so that's pretty cool. And I'm just curious. Wow. Um, I, I I don't know if it's just me, or I wonder if other people think about this. But when you're working on like a live TV format, yeah, everything is timed down to a second. Is there like a process that you go through in order to get in the zone to be able to focus like for that time? Because I can't even imagine that it, it it'd be hard to even take a sip of water because you have to, you know, everything's to the second. How did yeah. how did that work out? <laughs> Well, uh, just a lot of preparation and planning, basically. So, um, so the Olympic thing, I kind of worked for the BBC, and obviously the, the Olympics is like a massive outside broadcast across like many, many different countries. So there's kind of the the Olympics as a whole is kind of broken down into lots of little sub categories, and there's a the, there's kind of an Olympic broadcaster um, that kind of film all the events. 
and then you know pump it up to the satellite and then uh you know all the different countries in the world kind of take that and process it in their own different ways so i wasn't actually on the ground at the olympic venues filming and directing stuff i was more at the hub in the uk for the bbc in manchester and we'd basically i'd be in a control room where on my screens i'd have every let's talk about london 2012 as, as an example i'd have every olympic event um on my screens so everything that was there um and the good thing that year with the amazing thing with the bbc that year is that they would live stream every event so if you were a fan of whatever event it was you could watch that live be it on the tv or on your mobile phone or ipad or whatever you were able to watch that live and the way they did that was to uh basically all the feeds came into this control room where i was in and i would just manage these 24 or 25 different events that were coming in and happening live and basically kind of putting them out to air at different times or taking them off air. So I wasn't really directing any presenters or anything. It was kind of more the content or the, the feeds coming in. And obviously if there's kind of like, um, I don't know what, uh, equestrian event that would take longer than it's allotted time, you'd have to kind of, um, adapt and, you know, obviously you wouldn't want to take that off air. So you keep that on, but then the other, maybe there'd be a tennis event that was due to start, you know, five minutes afterwards that would then have to go onto a different network. So it was, it was kind of just balancing all of that. But to answer your question about how do you plan that to the time? Well, how the, do you focus during that? Like, how do you get, well, I guess, practice, right? You kind of, it's, you're only as good as like your team around you. So there's, um, mm-hmm. Uh, you have an amazing person in a live gallery called a PA who is all over the timing. That is their main role, basically. It's down to the second. So he or she will be counting you down to that zero. And, you know, from 10 to zero and on zero, you know, you will either have to roll that VT or go to the break or, you know, start the show or anything like that. So, and they... You've, you've kind of pre-planned it with them and you've had script meetings and whatever the program will be, you kind of work with them and they're, they're the one basically on the day that count, um, count those seconds down to, you know, zero. So that, you know, they'll all be across like the satellites when the satellite time is booked for and, you know, when the presenter has to stop talking and when they need to link to this that, and the other. So you're kind of working in partnership with them and, and your, my role is kind of to work alongside that person and then, make the crew work around those timings. So like I said, everyone's singing from the same hymn sheet pretty much. That's beautiful. I like that. What do you think makes you so successful? Like, what do you think that you do? Maybe mental prep work or, you know, your emotional state. What, what do you think you, that you do that has helped make you successful in your career so far? Um, a bit of luck, a bit of right place, right time. Obviously like being dedicated, uh, I guess essentially being uh, good at your job. Pretty much, you wouldn't. I guess you wouldn't get asked back. You were very good, um, and I'd hope being nice to work with. I mean, I think nowadays, uh, maybe back in the day with directors, you could get away with being kind of shouty, shouty, and you know, a bit of a ball breaker, and uh, you know, that would kind of work maybe in previous generations of of live tele directing but i think nowadays no one likes to work with uh 
knobheads, <laughs> basically. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I think if you're nice to work with, I'd like. I think, or my philosophy has been, if you if you just sort of get on with people, then they'll ask you to work on whatever show they're doing next. So it's a combination of being quite nice to work with and obviously being good um, and having a bit of luck as well. I think that's kind of the secret. I reckon. Well, that's what I'm telling myself. <laughs> <laughs> then I guess you're quite lucky. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> well, honestly, I I, uh, I can totally understand that because a lot of the time, I think uh, throughout a lot of my jobs, I've got them through my just mm. being nice, and 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 often people have said that uh, that I've booked things like based off my personality, and so I think that that does go a long way. If they feel yeah. able to work with you, then they're going to want to. You know? Yeah, and like you know, telly is quite quite a you know it's quite a small world really, and everyone kind of moves around on different shows, so you kind of it's like a it's, you know, it's a big family, but uh, you'll end up working with the same people on different shows. You know, I'm, a, I'm freelance, right. so I don't, I'm not tied to any particular broadcaster or production company. Um, but I end up working with a lot of familiar faces, like a lot of my good friends in TV, I've sort of, uh, have worked with on many different shows. So it's kind of like, you know, if, if people didn't like, if you weren't very nice to work with, I think you get left out of that loop um, pretty quickly, I think. For you sure. Know. Yeah. Um, unless you've got a, you know a name for yourself I think with directors the tricky the thing that I always struggle with with directors is that you can be amazing at your job or you can be like as, as good as you you know as best as you can be at your job but um, you still kind of need to be a face that fits in with people um, mm -hmm. so you know obviously there's a hierarchy of the go-to directors that a production would want to get or attract for their show and you know the very top end they probably wouldn't be able to get or afford or not available. And so they would gradually work down that list. Um, and I just want to obviously climb that ladder, but you, you kind of, as well as being good at the job, I think you kind of have to be right place, right time and your face fits. So, you know, there's some amazing directors out there that are kind of just not in vogue, I guess, um, right. at the moment. And that's the thing that kind of slightly worries me about the future is that, you know, uh, when you're not in vogue, what do you do? Right. But, who knows? Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> partly why I wanted to talk to you is because a lot of people just always talk about the performers and the actors, but it's the crew mm. that m makes the TV shows and the movies. Absolutely. And, right, and so there's a big process yeah. to that, and so I, um, you, you don't often get the spotlight. And you, and people don't know who the behind, you know, who's behind the scenes, and yeah. who creates it all. And the, you know, there's like like you've described, there's such a huge process, and you know, a lot of creativity that goes into it. And uh, I think that's partly why I wanted to speak with speak with you because I think that um, people will find this fascinating. <laughs> Yeah, I think you're only as good as the team that you work with or, or the team of people that you put around you. So, you know, you're a small cog in a massive wheel on a TV show. So there's not, it's not like from a director's kind of perspective, you could be like a really great director, but if you've just got a rubbish team around you, you're not going to, you know, you might be able to pull bits of it together, but, you know, you, you, you need to, you need everyone to be on your side and work for you and be great at what they do to make you look good or be great at what you do. So um, it's kind of just finding those people that are good. And you know, again, I'm kind of like sort of saying my own mantra, but if I find good, great people that I like working with, I'll, I'll take them on to my other job. So yeah, I think that's, that's the behind the scenes thing, isn't it? You know, you just need a good team around you basically. 
You know what? I think actually that's very common uh, with crews. I have a friend who's a music video director in Canada, and he often reuses um, like a lot of a lot of his friends. And I'm one of my friends works with him all the time. She's a makeup artist, and so I think that's quite common. Where you know, if you get along with people, you can trust that they'll be hard workers, that they'll do well. Yeah. You know, then you're, you're obviously going to want to work with them again, right? So yeah, yeah. yeah. That guy's not called Tim Mattia, is he? <laughs> no. no, Peter Huang. All oh, right, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, totally. That, that's um, <laughs> who's Tim? Now I'm intrigued. <laughs> Tim, Tim's amazing. Um, so Tim, um, a really good friend of mine, who's now sadly passed away, but it's his step brother, uh, Tim, and Tim is um, uh, uh, quite a really well-known music video director. He's worked with some amazing bands, like you know muse and like he's quite big time i mean he lives in the U usa now but um he uh yeah he's, he's been pretty successful as a music video director i just you know didn't know but i took a i took a punt to you know it would have been amazing if you would have gone yeah that's him um, that would be awesome. Actually, guys, yeah. before I turned on uh, the recording, we discovered that we're literally from one town apart in England. Well, my family's yeah. from, obviously, I don't have a British accent, but um, my me. my mom's side is from a town right near his. So that's pretty, pretty hilarious. That would that's that insane. would have been pretty cool, actually, if that was, if yeah, that, yeah I knew him. And my family all live in America, albeit not anywhere near you. But um, yeah, it's funny that our families live on the opposite sides of the, yeah. of the world to where we like your your entire like your like your whole family your mom and dad or yeah mom dad two sisters uh they live um in south carolina so and they have them for about 15 to 20 years so um yeah we go there every now and again and have like very nice holidays and I mean, hang out and nice home. yeah it's hot it's hot there i think the thing is though with my mom and dad is they've forgotten what England is like. So, you know, England from anyone that hasn't been to England, you know, it, it is amazing, but it does have some rubbish weather every now and again, more often than not, probably. But they've done that typical kind of thing where they obviously haven't lived in the UK for a long time. And so whenever I FaceTime and, and it's blue sky outside, they go, oh, what? It's sunny. What's going on? Like, oh why is it not raining? I mean, like, it doesn't rain all the time. It just, you know, it rains some of the time. Yeah, um, well, you know, it rains quite a lot of the time, but we do have quite nice weather as well sometimes. Literally every time I go to England, it rains every single day. So I don't know if I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm just trying to sell England a bit more. <laughs> England. Yeah. Uh, no, it's pretty miserable. I mean, I'm in Australia at the moment and the weather is amazing. Obviously, it's like, what is it? December. It's the height of summer. You know, it's like 35 degrees, shorts and t-shirts weather. I've just been sort of like, hanging out with the crew at the end of the shoot and you know it's it's really really nice and I've been showing them pictures of the UK at this time of year and it is quite a, you see this the look on their face and they're like how can you actually live there like it's well, it's only dark it's only light for like six hours like what isn't that really depressing and I go well yeah it's kind of it's kind of yeah it's a bit depressing but you know you kind of just get on with it and yeah I think you know, when the weather's good in the UK, we absolutely love it. So that's, uh, we appreciate it way more. We don't take it for granted. Basically. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's a, uh, it's light here for about six hours a day right now as well. So mm. I'm with you, man. <laughs> I'm flying home next week. So obviously I'm really looking forward to like getting home and seeing the kids. Mm. 
less looking forward to just being in the dark for a long time but you know, yeah at least I'll it's Christmas that. you can yeah. I, you can see behind me I have the, my tree up <laughs> you can like, just tree. light up your house and that that'll make yeah. you feel maybe a little bit better eat all Christmas chocolate that that's the other chocolate. weird thing about being in Australia at Christmas is that they still have all the Christmas thing like so they have the imagery of Santa Claus and the snow and everything but like it's everyone's on the beach and wearing oh, board cool. shorts and t-shirts so it just doesn't it's like it's weird it, you know they've got christmas trees up on the beach and you're just like it just doesn't compute you know yeah, it just doesn't work out yeah what's going on here um so that's why it is actually really nice to get back for christmas and have a proper uk christmas you know dark cold um <laughs> kind of christmas <laughs> that sounds amazing actually <laughs> All right, well <laughs> I won't keep you too much longer. I just wanted to ask one last question. If you had any piece of advice that you would just love to pass on to all my listeners, whether it be, you know, work, life advice, anything, what would you pass on? Um, just to try and like be the best that you can possibly be. I like just always try hard and do your best. That's what my wife always like tells our kids so you know um yeah just be nice try hard and do the best job you can possibly do and then it'll all work out hopefully you know as long as you know with a bit of luck as well but you know i think like i said before it's it's helpful to have a goal to go for i never really had a goal uh, but now i do have a goal now i've sort of realized what i like doing and stuff but in the early days i just kind of went along with the flow but i think um it's great to have something to aim for and then just try and try your hard like you know stuff doesn't come and fall in your lap without you trying to get get it so you have to be proactive and you have to try and be good at what you want to do um so yeah just try the best and be nice and you know hopefully it'll fall into fall into play that's great advice awesome well, honestly, this was such a lovely chat. It is 5.30 yeah. in the morning here, so I'm probably I mean, going to bed after this. <laughs> that, is, that is dedication. I mean, yeah, I'm you sorry that what? I made you get up so early, but I've, I'm, oh. I've got to be up at 4.30, so, yeah, so you got, get it. I'm going to bed soon. It's like half past eight in the, more, in the evening here. Some, well, and it's 4, what is it, 4, 5.30 in the morning it's for you? It's 5.30 so. now, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, hats off to you for... Um, you're obviously dedicated to the podcast calls and I've never done a podcast before. So I thought, yeah, why not? I'll give it a go. You know um, what? I actually, I said that to my boyfriend. I was like, he works on set 100%. He gets up at four 30 every morning. And he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, man, the crew is up in Adam literally at five o'clock yeah. every morning. The actors don't, a lot of the time don't need to arrive on set till about seven, eight, but the crew, yeah. man, they, they work yeah. crazy hours. They, they put in the hours, don't they? And the lower down the pecking order you are, the, the more hours you put in. Um, but that's, I think that's just kind of what happens, I guess, in, uh, in the world of TV. But, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's been great to do a podcast. I've never done it before. So, you know, thanks for the, um, the opportunity. And it's been fun. Oh, it has <laughs> been fun, honestly. Thank you so much. No problem. Um, yeah, and have, honestly, have a great rest of your trip. Um, yeah. When are you back in Hebden Bridge then? 
You know, it's interesting that you say that because uh, you asked that, sorry, is that um, I'm trying to plan like a family trip for my mom's 60th birthday. And so right. we're, we're not undecided whether we're going to go back to Hebden Bridge first and then maybe go to Greece for yeah. a couple days, um, but possibly soon. But we should definitely connect if I'm yeah. ever nearby. I mean, like, yeah, give us a shout. You're like yeah. down the road. Um, we can get some, so yeah. have some tea and chocolate and um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. If you're a chocolate biscuits, person. Two biscuits. Two biscuits. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely. That was, yeah, it was fun. Come and, yeah. Thank Say you hi. so much. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, we are now at the end. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I honestly had a ridiculous blast. Paul is so awesome. And I'm honestly just so thankful I got to speak with him and share this with you guys. So I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to check out more Namaste. Just go to patreon.com slash Melissa Malati. That's where you can find the Just Love Spreading Love calendar. And you can support all things Namaste, like the podcast, the Namaste meditations, the live stream, and of course the video series. So head on over to patreon.com slash Melissa Malati to check out all of that. And don't forget the motto that the grass is always greenest where you are right now. So work hard, live life to the fullest. And as always, I'm sending you all so much love, light, and motivation to go tackle your goals. Namaste. Namaste.